listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. This morning's scripture lesson is the parable of the rich fool from the Gospel of Luke. And if you'd like to follow along, it's on page 848, your pew Bible. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Amen. So I don't want to step on any backpacks, so I'm going to preach from up here for old time's sake. This also gives me a great view of everyone's forehead, so (laughs) joke's on you there. No, just kidding. Good morning, everybody. Uh, So um, we are in the midst of this teaching series on the parables of Jesus, these uh, challenging metaphorical stories Jesus tells in the Gospels that have all sorts of like fascinating layers upon layers of meaning. Um, Last week we looked at the Good Samaritan, which is this uh, really provocative story that challenges us to rethink the, the boundary lines we draw in our own hearts in terms of like who's in and who's out. And today we're looking at the parable of the rich fool, uh, which challenges us to rethink our relationship with wealth. I've got to say, this is a pretty snarky story. Um, The parable of the rich fool is actually kind of funny if you have like a really dark sense of humor, like me. Um, Jesus tells this story about a rich man who has this massive harvest. He's got so much produce, so many crops that he actually tears down his barns and his storehouses to build bigger ones to store it all. And then he kicks back and relaxes, knowing that he can take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry, live fat off the surplus for a good long time. And that's when God shows up and is like, you idiot, you're going to die tonight. The end. That's it. That's the story. It's, uh, it's pretty cheerful, I guess I would say. Um, I'm not sure what side of the bed Jesus woke up on when he, when he told this one, but um, I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, parents, especially um, parents of young kids, try this parable tonight as a bedtime story. Uh, see how that goes and report back next week. Um, don't do that. This is an interesting parable. Um, It's not one of the classics for obvious reasons. Um, Like many of the parables we're looking at in this series, this one only shows up in Luke's gospel. It's not in Matthew, it's not in Mark, it's not in any of the other accounts of the life of Jesus that we have in our Bibles, only in Luke. 
And this is, only one of the, this is also one of the first parables that speaks explicitly about wealth. Most of Jesus' parables have something to do with money or resources in some way. Um, last week, when we looked at the Good Samaritan, it starts out with a man being robbed. That's an economic factor right there. And then a Samaritan comes along and cares for the man and uses a great deal of his own money and resources to help nurse this guy back to health. Two weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the sower, uh, which is the story about a man scattering seeds, a pretty valuable resource in an ancient agrarian society. And he kind of scatters it haphazardly, throwing it in places where there's no chance it's going to grow. And there's many more. Uh, Jesus tells parables about lost coins, about servants who are entrusted with a big sum of money by their master. He tells stories about sons asking their fathers for their inheritance, kings throwing lavish parties. A lot of these parables involve money. But this is the first one that speaks explicitly to wealth. And over the years, um, a number of Christians have gotten some really bad ideas about money management from a way too literal reading of this parable. Uh, there are branches of the church, not like, not like major, like mainstream branches, but like some of the more radical, like fundamentalisty, cult-like churches that use this story to argue that it's a sin to save money. So like, don't have a bank account, don't plan for retirement, don't store up your wealth, just trust God to provide. Otherwise, you might end up like the rich man in this story. There are a number of churches that teach that. We are not one of them. Please save your money. Please plan for retirement. Make wise investments. Be wise in stewarding your wealth. There are a ton of other spots in the Bible that elevate good stewardship, things like being frugal, saving money, planning ahead. None of that is negated by this parable. And the text actually gives us a few clues that something more is going on here. There's something deeper beneath the surface. This isn't just a story saying you can't have a food pantry. There's something more afoot here. The first clue is the setting of this story. If we go back to the, the first verse of Luke chapter 12, we see that Jesus is preaching to a crowd of thousands. It's a really big audience for this teaching that Jesus is doing. And he's teaching about all kinds of stuff. He talks about blasphemy. He talks about the Holy Spirit. He talks about the importance of living without fear. And then out of nowhere, this guy in the crowd, this random guy, just speaks up. And he's like, hey, Jesus, can you help me settle a dispute I'm having over money with my brother? Which is like a little off topic, right? Like if Cindy stood up right now and was like, hey Dan, I'm having an argument with Bud. Could you help me settle it? Like in the middle of this sermon, that would be completely inappropriate, right? No one, no one cares. Sorry, guys. <laughs> None of our business. <clears throat> and I just love Jesus' response. He's like, buddy, who made me the judge over you? Which is kind of amazing if you think about it. Here's, here's the judge of the whole earth, right? And he's like, hey, this is none of my business. Leave me out of it. But then he tells a story. And the story begins with a warning against greed. This is the second half of verse 15. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. <clears throat> so the setting of the story, this setup is our first clue that whatever Jesus is talking about, whatever he's about to say, the focus is on greed. 
This isn't saying that we shouldn't be wise with our money and save. This is a warning against rooting your security in possessions. That's clue number one. Clue number two is that the main character of this parable is a rich man. Now, I need to say this up front. There is nothing inherently wrong with wealth. It is not a sin to be wealthy. A lot of very rich people do a lot of amazing things with their, with their money, with their wealth to help bless others and advance society. But we are reading the Gospel of Luke. And if there's one thing to know about Luke's Gospel, it's that Luke is not a big fan of wealth existing for wealth's sake. He's kind of like the Bernie Sanders of the Gospel writers, if that, if that connection makes sense. Early on in Luke's gospel, um, we have the song that Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings when the angel comes to her and tells her she's going to have a baby. Um, We looked at this way back in December of last year. Her song includes the following lines. They'll be up on the screen. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Reads like Rage Against the Machine lyrics. I love that. And I know that there's only like four people here who get that reference, so that's okay. But with this song, whatever, whatever the arrival of the Messiah means, Mary's song tells us it involves the humbling of the rich and the powerful, this leveling out of wealth in society, which is interesting. And Jesus actually picks up on this idea. He learned a thing or two from his mother. Um, In Luke 6, which we looked at toward the beginning of the year, it was around uh, January or February, Jesus issues the following warning about wealth. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Talk about ominous. Woe to you who are rich. A couple minutes ago, I mentioned that a lot of Jesus' parables involve money. And a good thing to know is that whenever there's a character in the parable who Jesus describes as a rich man, they're usually the bad guy. Things rarely end well for the rich man in Jesus' parables. So the mere fact that we're in the Gospel of Luke and this parable involves a rich man, it's a big clue that there's more going on here. And the third and last clue that we have is the rich man's pronouns. You can tell a lot about someone's heart by the pronouns they use when they speak. And the rich man's pronouns are very eye-opening, to say the least. I'm going to go back to our uh, passage, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 17. It'll be on the screen. And the rich man thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pour down my, or pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul. I love that, by the way. <laughs> I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. If you want to know this rich man's heart, Look at the pronouns. I've actually highlighted them here. What should I do? I have no place for my crops. I will do this. I will pull down my barns. 
I will store my grain, my goods. I, 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 my, my, my. They're all first-person pronouns. When this guy finally does use a second-person pronoun, when he says you, he's talking to himself, right? I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. He's talking to himself about himself because this rich man's focus is himself. A couple weeks ago, we got done with this, um, this series we did on stewardship laws, finance laws, economics laws in the Old Testament, the laws about wealth and poverty and money that really shaped the worldview of people at Jesus' time. You don't see any of that here. There's no mention about giving the first fruit of the harvest to God. There's no mention about taking a tithe to the temple for the nonstop party that's supposed to be going on there. There's uh, no mention about caring for the poor in his community or the priests in his community. There's no mention of anyone else at all. The rich fool is only focused on himself. Now, I did a little bit of research into this story because that's why I'm here. Um, And I found out, looking even deeper into this, that there are some economic realities at play in this story that would have been super obvious to the original audience, to Jesus' crowd, but they go right over our heads. Um, Let me unpack some of these, because this brings a whole other layer of meaning to this story. So, this is set in like an agrarian, ancient, village-based society. And in a society like that, this rich man would have been insanely wealthy. Like, if you've got the money and the resources where it's more cost-effective to just tear down all your barns and build new ones because of all your crops, we're talking about someone with a ton of wealth, a ton of money, and one heck of a harvest. This guy wasn't like your typical farmer or landowner. This guy was like the 1% of his village and then some. And in these ancient agrarian farming-based societies, the price of grain and other produce, that was life or death. Most people made their living off the land in some way, and it was a real struggle to grow enough food to feed your family for an entire year. So the price of grain was huge. The price of crops really mattered. And these societies depended on people like this rich man who would have a massive harvest and a ton of crops to release that harvest into the market to help bring down prices for everybody. That's like basic capitalism, right? That's like supply and demand at its best. You flood a market with more crops and prices come down for everyone. But this guy doesn't release his crops into the market. He holds on to them. He stashes them away and stores them up. The assumption probably would have been that sometime later, after the harvest, once food gets more scarce, Once people start getting desperate and the price for food goes up, that's when he'll start releasing bit by bit to maximize profit. This rich man is going to get even richer at the expense of the poor and the hungry. This is why the twist in the story is kind of hilarious. Again, if you come from a very dark place like me, Most of you are good people, so you don't find this funny. I do. I think this is really funny. 
The rich man tells himself to eat, drink, and be merry. He's actually quoting the Bible there. That's actually a Bible verse. So Isaiah 22, 13, eat, drink, and be merry. But he misses a pretty important part of that line. Does anyone know? Which, don't spoil it. Oh, it's spoiled already. <laughs> it's all right. The line is, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. The rich man leaves that last part out. And Jesus is all too happy to remind him. Back in our passage, verse 20. <clears throat> God said to the rich man, You fool! This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. That stings at the end there. I think the meaning of this parable is pretty clear. This is one where you don't have to read between the lines too much. Um, but there are a number of different ways we can apply this to our lives. And I think it's really important how we do that. The tendency in a lot of churches is to lessen the impact of a harsh teaching like this, kind of dial it down a bit by like over-spiritualizing it and applying it just to the individual. So the question would be something like, where do you root your security? Are you rich toward God? Which, like, those aren't bad questions, right? We should be rich toward God. We should find our security not in earthly treasure, but in heavenly treasure. Yes. But remember the pronouns. Remember the rich man's mistake of focusing everything on himself. If we only apply this to ourselves as individuals and leave out the communal aspect, we're going to miss the thrust of this parable. We live in a society that places a lot of value on wealth. We value money. We value capital. We value the acquisition for wealth for wealth's sake. Um, a couple days ago, I was listening to this podcast that was talking about million-dollar ideas. People who developed some program or some code and then sold it to Facebook or Google for like millions of dollars. And we kind of just, we hold that up as like inherently good and admirable. What ingenuity, what good thinking. They made millions doing almost nothing at all. And we don't stop to question the merits and the spiritual implications, the morality of these million dollar ideas. We see money and we assume value. But this parable reminds us that wealth has spiritual and moral consequences. Seeking profit at all costs, especially at the expense of the poor, is immoral. I don't care what resources you're hoarding. I don't care if we're talking about crops or insulin shots. <laughs> or some code that's going to help Google mine a bunch more data off of its users. If you're trying to make a bigger profit by exploiting people who have less than you, this parable warns us that a reckoning is coming. And whenever there's a reckoning on the way, the call from Jesus is to repent. Repent from greed. Repent from exploitation. Repent from rooting your security in worldly treasure and instead be rich toward God. Repent.
Repent just means to turn. It's a really fancy religious way to say turn. To repent means you're going one way, your life is headed one direction, and you turn and you go another way. There's the way of the kingdoms of this earth, a way that is marked by the endless acquisition of wealth and power, the belief that he who dies with the most toys wins. But then there's the way of Jesus and the alternative kingdom he modeled for us through his life, death, and resurrection. We come to the table this morning not under the invitation to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die, but with the invitation and the promise from Jesus that those who share this meal, those who eat this bread and drink this cup, will live even when they die. Let's pray. God, you know the hunger and the thirst of your children far better than we know it ourselves. We give thanks to you, Lord, for the bread broken and the wine outpoured at the table of your Son. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon us, Lord, renewing us and reshaping us in the image of Christ. Thank you, God, for his sacrifice. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.